Well, I have to say, ladies and gentlemen, I'm very excited about our gospel reading this morning. I hope you were paying attention because Jesus says some incredible things, some pretty mind-blowing things, actually. So let's take a look at this for a second. I think this really has to be like every priest's favorite gospel to preach on. And it only comes up once every three years, I think. So here we go. Jesus said to the crowds, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. The bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. And then the Jews quarreled among themselves and said, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And notice what Jesus doesn't do right here. He doesn't say, oh, No, guys, you misunderstood me. Uh, I, I didn't really mean my flesh and my blood. I didn't really mean that. You, you misunderstood he doesn't do that, does he? Rather, he does the opposite thing. And he says like five more times, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has life eternal. My flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. He says it over and over again. I hope you're listening. It's very, very clear here, brothers and sisters. John chapter 6. Read it yourselves. Go home and read it again. Jesus wants us to eat his flesh and drink his blood. The Jews understood him correctly when they were quarreling among themselves. He didn't correct them. And the reason why this is so important is because this is what we're about when we come to Mass. So if you've been here in the last couple weeks, you know that we're doing a homily series. All of the uh, priests are preaching on the same topic for the last few weekends. So two weekends ago, we talked about why go to Mass. Last weekend, we talked about the Liturgy of the Word, which is basically like the, the first half of the Mass. And then today, I'm going to talk about the Liturgy of the Eucharist, the second half of the Mass. So just let me recap those last couple weeks, because we need them to understand this week. Why do we go to Mass? Well, we don't go to Mass simply to receive something. We don't go to Mass to watch something happen or to be passive. We go to Mass, actually, to do something. And I know that it can uh, seem difficult to get in that mindset sometimes because you're all sitting there, you're in like the stadium seating, you actually, you are watching something happen most of the time. And so it's easy to fall into that mindset that you're just here, not participating, passively here. But that's not true. It's not the same as going to a ball game. It's not the same as going to a movie or something like that. We are all here, you are all here, to do something at Mass. I'll get back to that in a minute. The Liturgy of the Word prepares us for the second half of the Mass. So that's kind of the main point of last week's homily. Nothing in the Mass is accidental. No word, no action. Nothing is accidental. It all has a purpose and all builds on itself slowly until we get to the pinnacle of the Mass in the Liturgy of the Eucharist. So the Liturgy of the Word, the first half of the Mass, everything that happens in the first half of the Mass prepares us for the second half of the Mass, the Liturgy of the Eucharist, which is what I'm going to talk about today. It prepares us specifically for what we're doing here and what we're doing is offering a sacrifice. We are here because the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, that same body and blood that he really wants us to eat and drink, is made present to us. 
We're here to offer his sacrifice. Now, to understand this, we have to go back to the Old Testament for a second. Here's a question for you. Were there priests in the Old Testament? Yeah, there were. Not priests of Jesus Christ, not priests like I am that we have today. Jesus hadn't come yet. But there were priests. The word priest simply means one who offers a sacrifice. And so there were men ordained from among the Jewish people uh, to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people, to slaughter animals on their behalf. Um, and if you've ever read like the book of Leviticus or the book of Numbers or something like that, there's lots and lots and lots of detail in there about how this is supposed to happen. There's details about the altar, there's details about the animals, details about the priests, about his robes, about his prayers, about what he's supposed to do, how he's supposed to offer the sacrifice, all sorts of prescriptions about these things. So if you're ever tempted to think that, that God doesn't care about how he's worshipped, go to those books and you'll see very clearly that God wants to be worshipped in a specific way. Okay, so I bring this up because it parallels with what we're doing here at Mass. We're not offering uh, like a bull or a goat or a calf or something like that. Thanks be to God. Right? We don't have to do that anymore. But we really are offering a true sacrifice. I'm a priest. I'm one who offers a sacrifice. We have an altar here. I'm wearing special robes. There are rubrics about how the sacrifice is meant to be offered. We, brothers and sisters, get to participate in the fulfillment of what the people in the Old Testament were doing. They were foreshadowing this sacrifice that we offer. And the sacrifice, of course, that we offer is none other than the sacrifice of Jesus Christ himself. Look at Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross is both priest, the one doing the offering, and victim, the one being offered. And it's precisely that sacrifice that's being made present to us on the altar. We can really think of ourselves as being transported back to the foot of the cross. Or better yet, we can think of the cross being transported here to us that we get to participate in, that we really get to receive the benefits of when we're here at Mass. Now, we're not re-sacrificing Jesus. We're not sacrificing him again. No, the one historical event of Jesus on the cross is made present to us every single time we're at Mass. And we have the privilege to participate in that. And the other thing that we have to recognize about sacrifices is that it's more than just about the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, of course, forgives our sins through his sacrifice on the cross, but it's more than that. The reason for a sacrifice or the purpose of a sacrifice is fourfold. First of all, we're offering worship to God through this sacrifice. Second, we, uh, we offer thanksgiving. We say thank you to God. Third, we receive the forgiveness of our sins. And fourth, we unite our prayer intentions to the sacrifice. We ask God for things. So first of all, we're glorifying, we're worshiping God through our sacrifice. Second is thanksgiving. Third, the forgiveness of our sins through this sacrifice. And fourth, asking God for the things that we need. And this 
is why it's important to go to Mass every single weekend. Again, we're not here to be entertained or to receive something. We're here to do something. We're here to offer our worship, united to the perfect worship of Jesus Christ on the cross, to offer that to God because we owe him that worship. That's why we come every week. Okay, so now let's walk through the uh, parts of the liturgy of the Eucharist. I'm going to do this quickly. I know it, it could take a long time to do this, but I'm going to just go through some of the big parts. So after we offer our petitions, everybody sits down. The priest or the deacon stands up and starts to prepare the altar. He gets the chalice, he gets the sabori, he gets the book, um, and prepares everything. We have people come down the center aisle to bring up water, wine, and bread. Those elements which are about to turn into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, they're not yet, they're just bread and wine at that point, but they bring them up to the altar. And the priest takes them, he gives thanksgiving for them, and he asks the Lord to bless them. We then stand up, we say a couple prayers, and then we sing the holy, holy, holy together. These words of scripture, the words of the angels in the scriptures, praising God. And we get to offer those same words to God in that song. Then everybody kneels. And this is kind of like the, this is basically the summit point that I was talking about earlier. Remember how I said mass is sort of a slow build up to the summit? We're getting there. We're getting really close at this point. So then we, we get to the point where the server rings the bell once. Not the three times, but just the one time. You remember that? So that's the part of the Mass where uh, the priest is praying like this, and he switches from praying like this to going like this. Praying like this. Calling the Holy Spirit down upon the gifts. Asking that they be made into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. It's called the epiclesis for anyone who wants to know that. Then we move on to that great point of the consecration where the priest holds up the body of Christ. He holds up the chalice. And that's when the servers ring the bells three times each to remind us that, like, hey, this is the moment. This is the high point. This is when Jesus is made present to us. This is when these words are fulfilled for us. Now, it still looks like bread. It still tastes like bread. It still smells, feels like bread. But it's not anymore. This is the moment of transubstantiation you've ever heard that term before. The substance is different. Transubstantiation. Even though it still looks, feels, tastes all that like bread, it's not anymore. It's Jesus himself. Body, blood, soul, and divinity made present to us. And as you're there kneeling, you're adoring the Eucharist. As the priest holds up the host, as the priest holds up the chalice, that's a moment of adoration. That's what we're working towards. Jesus made present toward, uh, to us. We then go through the rest of the Eucharistic prayer. And just a little side note here, I encourage you to pay close attention to the words of the Eucharistic prayer today. See how many times sacrifice is mentioned. Pay attention to that sacrificial language that we get all throughout the Eucharistic prayer. Okay, then we get to the end of it when the priest holds up the, uh, the chalice and the patent, and he says, through him, with him, in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. 
This is when we're taking the sacrifice, we're taking Jesus and literally offering that sacrifice to God the Father. And notice, during that point, I'm not looking at you guys. I'm not looking at any of the crowd. I'm looking to heaven because I'm really offering this, the sacrifice of Jesus, to God the Father. And at that moment, you should be offering it as well. Think of yourself as really offering it. I'm offering it on your behalf. Think of yourself as really offering that sacrifice in that moment. Then we all stand up, we say the Our Father, we have the sign of peace. I know I'm skipping over some things, but I'm just trying to hit the big points. We then have communion, where we all get to participate in the sacrifice. When the priest receives uh, the host and the chalice, that's when the sacrifice is complete. That's the sacrificial moment. That's when we have a valid mass, in other words. And then everybody else gets to participate and receive that Eucharist. And then after communion, Mass is done, right? No, it's not done. You are not meant to leave after communion. I'm just going to say this as clearly as I possibly can. Mass is not over right after communion. You should not leave. If you leave right after communion, you're doing something bad. It's disrespectful. And remember, it's not like we're here at a ball game. It's not like we're at a movie. We're here to do something. And you're not disrespecting me. You're disrespecting the sacrifice, Jesus Christ himself. And I know this is a particular affliction of this parish, especially this church. I don't care if you have a soccer game. I don't care if you have breakfast plans. I don't care if you want to miss the traffic in the parking lot. Those aren't good enough reasons. We're here to offer the sacrifice and we need to stay until the end of Mass. Okay, moving on. We receive the Eucharist. When that's over, the priest and the deacon come back to the altar to purify the vessels, to get all of the little pieces out of there, all of the drips of the precious blood, because each piece contains the full body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. We have to do that well. We have to be careful about it. After that, we offer the closing prayer. We say some announcements if we need to. I give the final blessing. And then we have the dismissal. We say something like, go forth, the Mass is ended. That's when the Mass is ended. That's when we can leave. All right. So brothers and sisters, it is important for us to know these things about the Mass. It is important for us to understand what we're doing here and why we're here. Let us continue to grow in our knowledge and love of the Mass, of the worship that we offer to God the Father, so that we can be purified and sanctified through it, and so that we can become the saints that Jesus Christ calls us to be through it. And before I end here, I have to read you a message from Monsignor Knox. This past week, we have been made aware in a painful way that the sexual abuse crisis in the church is not over. The revelations about Cardinal McCarrick and the district attorney's report on six dioceses in the state of Pennsylvania have been difficult to watch. We need to pray for all victims of abuse and their families. We also need to pray for the renewal of the church so that at all levels we reflect the presence of Christ. In this weekend's bulletin, we have an important insert 
We have a statement and an exhortation by Bishop David Malloy of our diocese. And on the other side of the insert, we have a statement by Cardinal Daniel DiNardo, who is the president of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. Please take some time to read these. This is a painful time for our church, but let us not lose hope as we continue to pray for the wounded and for the renewal of the Catholic Church. And so, brothers and sisters, I would like to extend uh, my own apology to you on behalf of all of the people who have done bad things and who have hidden those bad things. I apologize on their behalf to the victims and to all of you. We don't deserve this. We deserve better. Yet, at the same time, I encourage you to not let this shake your faith. Yes, people have done bad things. Yes, they should be punished for it. But that doesn't change what the church is. The church is the body of Christ, a divine institution. We have the fullness of truth. We have Jesus Christ made present to us in the sacraments and specifically at Mass. Let us continue to do our best to be the saints, the lights to the world that he calls us to be. And as the prophet Micah says, let us do our best to do the right, to love goodness, and to walk humbly with our God.